So I saw a unhinged tweet. Really? They still do those unhinged <laughs> tweets? Well, the tweet itself is very funny, but what the picture <laughs> that they posted, I'll just read this to you. This is a, a sign at like a plant store. Mm, okay. Prop lifting, which is in quotation marks, is picking up fallen succulent leaves or any other plant leaf off the floors of garden centers or pinching off leaves and taking them home to propagate. <laughs> it is theft, all caps underlined. Please do not do it, all caps. <laughs> what Our the fuck? Our grandmother is quite the thief. <laughs> she is a bandit. <laughs> she will steal the whole plant. She don't give a fuck. <laughs> That is great. Don't do nature, you guys. Like, (laughs) you know, seeds, somebody should have to pay for each and every seedling Mm -hmm. in the forest, in the meadows, everywhere. I mean, that shit's not free, you know? It's not like the bounty of the earth or anything. All trees should have to pay taxes is what we're saying. (laughs) Yeah, like, what are they doing? Freaking What are the trees doing? Hogging up the sunlight, you know? Just taking up space. Yeah, Space that could be used for a good road, you know? <laughs> Two things. One, some of the replies to that tweets were like, well, I mean, technically it is patent infringing if you propagate even like with your friends. And I was like, you guys are broken. You guys are, what's wrong with you? <laughs> um, the other thing, I was driving home last night and I just, I said aloud the words, you should just replace all the interstates with a high speed rail and just kept driving. <laughs> it's like, that'd be nice. Uh, yeah. Because that way you could you could still visit your pals in other cities. Oh, yeah. You want a transportation network. Nobody's against that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of inefficient the way we do it. It's super inefficient. And really bad for the environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and really bad for cities and all that. There's, it's really bad in it's a, a lot bad of ways. <laughs> okay. Uh, cities are designed for cars. They are. They are. All right. All right. I'm doing my nails again. What tale are you telling me? Well, I paint my nails as black as my soul. <laughs> I'm going to be telling you a dark tale mm. of the conquest of Hawaii. Appropriate. Appropriately emo. Yeah. So this is gonna this episode's gonna get into a little Hawaiian history for those of us who are unfamiliar with it. Like me. Me too. <laughs> uh it's I imagine it's quite a lot of you guys out there that are not up to snuff on your Hawaiian history. We are Americans and we barely get this. It's new stuff. Let's get into it. So before it was a state in the U.S., Hawaii was a U.S. territory. That's not very surprising. That happens a lot. Before that, though, it was briefly the Republic of Hawaii. Oh, okay. And before that, it was the Kingdom of Hawaii. Yeah, I remember there's like the last queen of Hawaii and she has a cool name. Yes, we'll talk about her. Okay, great. She's a major player. Hell yeah. The Kingdom of Hawaii had been its own sovereign United country since 1795. Okay. Uh, And that unification process is not really our story, but it's interesting kind of a sidebar. This came shortly after the disastrous first European contact in 1778 uh, when British Captain James Cook arrived. It's kind of late, 1775. Yes. Let's see. James Cook... Is he? The, I like so. I like to not specify sometimes with like kind of common names and oh, see yeah. if they're the most important person with that name. <laughs> do you make the cut? Right. Are yeah, you or is the it, James Cook? Are you just? Yeah. Or do you have to go to the disambiguation? Oh. Know? But no, he was the James Cook. Okay. <laughs> you guys cared about that. Um, I did. 
So the British were terrible guests. I'm sure they tend to be. Yeah, they they piss off the native Hawaiians living there. Eventually violence breaks out. Uh, There's a big back and forth and the Hawaiians killed James Cook. Great. (laughs) I'm I'm four. He was an asshole. Um, It was disastrous, though, for the Hawaiians the whole episode because the Europeans spread disease all over the place. They are always doing that. Yeah, and this kills hundreds of thousands of Hawaiians over the next, over the course. It it completely ravages their population. Fuck, okay. So it's in that kind of apocalyptic setting uh, that the islands of Hawaii are united by King Kamehameha the Great. That's a great name. Uh, He kind of goes on the warpath, unites all the islands like they were kind of independent you know, like think like dukes and stuff, nobles. And then he kind of gets them all under his rule uh, with the help of some European advisors uh, and their and their advanced weaponry. So, yeah, it's not our main story, but it's kind of what leads to everything else unfolding the way it does. And it marks the beginning of the transition from ancient Hawaiian society, kind of very egalitarian, very well, not 100 percent. There are still like nobles and stuff. I don't want to make that argument, but like there's less stratification. It's less exploitative. There's no private land ownership, things like that. Transition from that to a constitutional monarchy modeled off of European states and the introduction of a monetary trade-based economy. Yeah, I'm making a face now. <laughs> now that I think about it, I know I said the guy's name was cool, but he's a king. I don't usually like kings. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have interesting kind of dancing to different tunes mm, okay. for different you know, oh, maybe monarchy is not always the worst thing sometimes. <laughs> oh, okay. Or maybe it's a lesser of two evils. We're going to be in different places sometimes, hmm. I think. All right, let's see. So we got another prequel story. So after that uh, comes the arrival of Christian missionaries in Hawaii on a ship called the Thaddeus. And this is on March 30th, 1820. How does this one go? I'm going to guess also not great. It also has very long-term effects, yeah, and they're not good. Yeah. They had been sent from Boston by the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions. So, like, you know, the dispatch office, I guess, for the missions. And they come with good intentions, right? Uh, They're trying to spread their faith. Uh, They're trying to, from their perspective, help people. But most of them carry with them the racist attitudes of their day. Uh, They see part of their mission not just of saving souls, but as like civilizing a backward people, saving people from ignorance and heathenry. Bleh. Yeah. So the main reason we mentioned these guys is that they and their descendants, especially get very wealthy and become kind of like the upper class of Hawaiian society. Oh, so they stick around. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They stick around. They start families and those descendants of theirs kind of gradually move away from the whole missionary thing, some of them not so gradually even, and jump into the uh, massive business side of things. Business interests like sandalwood trading, whaling, and then eventually the biggest dominant industry there, sugar plantations. Okay, yeah, because like Hawaii is a land that is rich in resources, and yeah, they want that. Yes, for sure. Alongside this wealth, in in a symbiotic relationship with this wealth, is their rise in power. Uh, The missionaries cultivated relationships with the ruling class of Hawaii, including becoming advisors to the royal family. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. The old adage there is, the missionaries came to do good and stayed to do well. Stayed to do business. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, they build up this generational wealth and power over the ensuing decades. And I mean, what's the cause of this, right? Why are they starting these sugar plantations, these extractive industries? They're not out to like, oh, I'm going to create some jobs for people or anything, <laughs> right? Uh, they're not trying to build up the island's productive capacity so they can be self-sufficient and free or anything like that. Like you said, they want their hands on those resources. They want to bleed the place dry. You know, this is, it's imperialism, right? It's, it's exploiting, getting hyper profits, all that. They probably view industrializing as also civilizing, you know? Yes, very much so. They were aghast at this society that had so much, you know, seemingly like, uh, unused yeah like sloth about them because they were you know had free time (laughs) they were lax in their morals from their perspective because they were more sexually liberated things like that damn they did not have like gender equality i don't want to say that there was a strict patriarchy sort of thing happening but like they you know these very uptight christian missionaries are not about how how people were living their lives there they had (laughs) very very much protestant work ethic types Ugh, gross the whole capitalism thing was wrapped up in their religious project too. And that religious project sort of falls away as time goes on. Like they're more concerned with making money hand over fist, (laughs) but it's, uh, it becomes this imperialist project and they become known that missionary group initially, uh, and just their descendants afterward become known as the missionary party. Oh, so they become like a political party, like officially. Yeah. They become like a political force and, and yeah, like a literal, political party, although I think they run as independents technically, but they eventually changed their name to the Reform Party. <laughs> That's vague. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, do you, what do you want to reform? <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, with them, it's kind of an example, you know, I think those initial missionaries, very spiritually driven, and we can say like, yeah, they were being racist about it too, mm-hmm. and they had problems, you know, they had stuff that we wouldn't like in, in a communist project of of. Being oh, you've got to make use of your time. <laughs> well, th- yeah, that too, of course. But, um, like, oh, every minute, you know, idle hands or the devil's thing or whatever, all that stuff. We, yeah. We're like, fuck that, be no. lazy, you know? <laughs> I love being lazy. <laughs> but once business comes into play, I, I don't think it's really about what's in anyone's hearts at that point. Even the most pious saint, if they're CEO of one of these sugar plantations, they're going to steer it in that same exploitative direction or they're not going to be CEO for long, you know? Because back then sugar was like super fucking expensive, right? Uh, yeah, it was, it was labor intensive to produce and everything. So it's hard to do. You have to find a, a population that you can really abuse. Oh, for sure. It's like really backbreaking work. Yeah. To make it, to make any sort of profit off of it, you had to be cruel to your workforce. So that starts uh, and they grow their influence. And part of their influence was the development of the Hawaiian kingdom's legal system and government. What they monkey around with in there? What what kind of tweaks did they make (laughs) under the hood? Well, um, they were essentially trying to set things up that were good for their interest, right? The state's a tool of the dominant class. And here we're talking the ascendant capitalists, the the sugar plantations and everything. And so that's what they're going to, you know, they're going to make the state in their own image so that it'll help them. The missionaries advised King Kamehameha III to enact the Constitution of 1840, which set up a three-branch government 
and kind of gradually ends up resembling kind of a Western style constitutional monarchy uh, with representative democracy, but it's very like limited in like the franchise and things. It's a bourgeois sort of parliamentary capitalists democracy. All right. Makes sense. Some sort of representation, some sort of like monarchy as the executive, that kind of thing. Yeah. So they do that reform and then they start kind of a series of reforms. Uh, The big part of this is reverse land reform is what I'm calling it, like shitty land reform. Okay, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This was done in the 1840s as a way to privatize communally held lands. Remember, we mentioned earlier, they didn't really have private land ownership before that. Uh, So this process is called the Great Mahale. And apologies to any anyone familiar with uh, the Hawaiian language in any way. <laughs> You're going to do your I'm best. I'm going to be very bad at it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to try, but it's probably going to sound bad. Trying is important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so initially, this reverse land reform reallocated about a third of the land to the crown, a third of the land to the noble chiefs, and then the final third to the common people. And before it was like everyone had it? Uh, before, like, the crown essentially, uh, you know, governed all the land. Really, mm-hmm. no one owned it, or they kind of owned it, but they would lease it out by use. So, basically, people would just use the land, and that was fine. Th- this is not a great distribution, first of all. No. <laughs> when communists talk about land reform, this is not what no, we're talking about. No, this is about. a bad one. A third <laughs> for the crown? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, one dude and his friends get third then his like <laughs> his other his, 20 friends capos yeah get the other third <laughs> yeah just like the number of people okay this is another tweet i'm sorry i'm just i'm i'm garbage twitter just your tweet person today apparently someone was talking about how like hermit crabs when they find a shell that's too big they wait until they find other hermit crabs and they like mm-hmm. all decide who gets to live in what shell together and they're like yeah crabs have better housing than we do <laughs> Yeah, they have like a big train of of crabs like getting have you ever seen that? They get no. like in and out of the shells and like one right after the other. That's adorable. It was on some nature doc I wanna say David Atten- Attenborough was the guy it was that soothing mm-hmm. it mo- is British it just called voice. Earth, Planet Earth? Maybe. Maybe. I just saw the clip. I, I don't remember where <laughs> I saw that, but <laughs> they can do allocation. Crabs no land reform. There we go. Crab land reform. <laughs> <laughs> We're on it. Okay, so That's the first step. But what was worse was that the common people had to petition the government to get to own land that they previously had lived on and worked on communally. Oh, fuck. This is like uh, the Japanese occupation of Korea. They did the same thing. Yeah. and, And in this case, there was a deadline of two years to do so. But a lot of people didn't hear about the law or read about it or understand why they needed to do it. It's very confusing. You tell people like, hey, you got to fill out a bunch of paperwork, you know, to do what you're currently doing. Exactly. To do the thing you've been doing since time immemorial. Not only that, but it also costs money. You had to pay to have someone survey your land so that you could even make the claim in the first place. Oh, fuck that. And you had to get two witnesses to confirm that you worked the land. There was a bunch of hoops. Yeah. They made bureaucracy. Civilization. (laughs) (laughs) So I've heard point is you know that's very hard to do a lot of people missed out and they lost their land Mm, okay 
And all of a sudden now they got all, they set, they graciously set aside a third of the land for all these people, but none of them wanted it. So they now have all this extra land. And so wouldn't you know it, (laughs) the government passes the Alien Land Ownership Act Uh uh, to let foreigners and businesses buy up all this land that those commoners just didn't seem to want. Weird. So weird. (laughs) And yeah, they bought up a ton of it. Um, from the commoners, e- even from people who claim their land, they were trying to buy up their land. Uh, from the chiefs who got their land, they were like, hey, you know, a lot of them sold their land too. By the end of it, most of the non-royal lands were hel- held by foreign companies. Fuck. So like nobody, like no native people were still holding land. Right. Very few. Getting all that land was not just for fun, not just to go walk around, enjoy <laughs> it wasn't nature. It was their vacation was- home. Yeah, they didn't have Airbnbs yet to <laughs> to mooch off of, but this was for expanding sugar plantations. Uh-huh. So they expand those, uh, and they're growing ever more sugar, and they still have a problem. They have to pay import tariffs when they're shipping to the United States, the, the closest market. Oh, my God. Are we just going to add Hawaii so we don't have import tariffs? We're going to... We're going to add Hawaii so that we don't have import tariffs. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. That's really dumb. There's also bigger imperial ideas of I like guess, spheres yeah. of influence and all that. But profit plays a big role in oh this story. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. They were, you know, they were having to pay a cut and it was, <laughs> it was too big, too big of an ask. Wow. 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 So in the 1850s. The Hawaiian sugar plantation owners with all their new land that they're producing all this sugar on, they're like, hey, can, you know, America, can we do a free trade agreement so we don't have to pay these taxes? But American sugar producers at the time, this is the 1850s, that's centered in the South. That's done by slave labor. Uh, They're still powerful enough. This is the time of the slave powers, slave state domination over over the American government, the, the presidency and Congress, both. Uh, they are the minority in terms of population and everything, but the electoral college allowed them to dominate everything. So like they had federal protections for slavery, all this stuff. They were still powerful enough to keep the tariffs in place. They were like, no, we're, we run, we run <laughs> the sugar game shit. here. Yeah. What are you doing? Get out, stay out. Uh, but eventually this changes. They are cast from power and America industrializes more uh, in, in the post-civil war time period. They're building up the industry. Uh, this is when you start to see the Gilded Age happening. Uh, corporate titans are more interested at that point in getting sugar as cheaply as possible. So in 1875, they signed the Reciprocity Treaty to make certain Hawaiian goods like sugar uh, and rice exempt from tariffs for seven years. And Hawaii, for its part, guaranteed that they wouldn't make a similar deal or lease any land to any other country. Okay, so we basically got like an exclusive rights to Hawaii. Yes. Okay. Um, that was just the first step, though. <laughs> when the treaty came up for renewal, Hawaii had to sweeten the deal because the, because of this treaty. It had kind of given an unfair advantage, some people were saying, uh, to Hawaiian plantations and to the West Coast sugar refiners that were buying their cheap sugar. So they were complaining, so they... They had to change things. They had to encourage them to to renew the deal. And so what they did was give the United States exclusive control over the port of Pearl Harbor. 
So they just kind of had to give just them. Just give them a city. Yeah. Well, you know, a little area at the time, but yeah, it was, <laughs> it was seen as a, an important potential naval base, uh-huh. to, which is what it becomes. Yeah. This essentially turned Hawaii into an economic protectorate of the U.S. It's one of the steps on the road to annexation. It makes a ton of money for the sugar plantations. Hawaiian exports go from $1.8 million in 1874 to $13.3 million in 1890. Hachi machi. It's a bunch. Yeah. And it's all on the backs of like people working themselves to death on a sugarcane plantation. Yes, that's right. Just making sure we're clear on that. Yeah, this isn't uh, hard enterprising, hardworking, (laughs) you know, Americans or whatever. This isn't free money. Sweat of their brow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's exploitation. Mm -hmm. All right. Now enter stage left one Walter M. Gibson. All right. What's this guy's deal? Well, he's either an Englishman or a Southerner. He told different people different things <laughs> in the course of his life. So okay. that's, first of all, the sort of guy we're dealing with. All right. So a scammer. Yes, definitely. <laughs> all right. I want to look up a pick. What's his name? Gibson something? Walter M. Gibson. Okay. Let me see how scammy this guy looks. Adventurer is how Wikipedia describes him. That's how you know you led a life. <laughs> That's how you know you definitely murdered indigenous people. <laughs> if you're an explorer or an adventurer, it's like you did some shit. <laughs> That's the best way we can put it. Yeah. <laughs> he was a gun runner, for one thing. Yeah, it's an adventure. He'd been convicted of leading a rebellion and was put in prison. He escaped. Wait, where was the rebellion? Uh, that was in... In the East Indies. Uh, mm, okay. So maybe he was British. The Dutch put him uh, in in prison for that. <laughs> uh, he managed to escape. Then he made his way to Utah. Okay. Where he joined the LDS church. And, and, and basically is sent by them on a mission to Hawaii. You know, start like a, a colony there. And... He eventually gets excommunicated from their church for embezzlement. (laughs) So anyway, Gibson, out of any other legitimate avenues of of making a living, turns to the least honest option, politics. Oh, of course. You've already done gun running and embezzlement. The (laughs) next move is combining the two (laughs) by joining politics. Essentially, yes. Uh, so he makes a name for himself as the voice of Hawaiians and somehow gets elected to the Hawaiian House of Representatives. How's this white guy of mysterious origin, the voice of Hawaiians? He just, I mean, he tells people that, tells them he, he's English or that he's Southern, whatever. Whatever they want to hear, man. <laughs> now he's the voice of Hawaiians. <laughs> From there, he rose through the ranks and was eventually appointed to several government posts at once, actually Whoa. becoming known in the press as the minister of everything. <laughs> okay, so definitely still scamming. He's got to be scamming. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he was a good talker, but maybe not not the best ideas guy. Mm, like okay. He had a way of selling you on it, but it wasn't a good idea. <laughs> okay, okay. Like bad morally? Uh, bad stupidly. He becomes the king's top advisor, and this is King Kalakaua. And he encourages him, you know, hey, man, you're the king. Like, fuck it. You know, like, <laughs> act boldly. Uh, assert your power. And this, I mean, he get he kind of get overextends himself this way. 
Uh, one example is he encourages King Kalakaua to form a Polynesian confederation with Hawaii at its head. Uh, so sort of like a, like a union of nations. And so they, they start trying to put that together, a mini empire, kind of. Oh, who else would, would be in that? So these are places like Samoa, Tonga, Tuvalu, small islands out in Oceania. Gotcha. The thing was that that was like a colonial playground at the time. Uh, so this kind of pissed off Germany, the UK. They were like, what the fuck? You know, we're already out here. Yeah, this is our this is our home. Well, not home at all, but you know. <laughs> we took this home. We took this from someone. You can't take it from us. Yeah. Um colony lifting is a crime. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot steal this stolen territory. <laughs> uh so he's he's doing that. That kind of pisses them off. And and overall he's kind of increasing his authority on the advice of this Gibson dude. And that angers a secret society called the Hawaiian League. So these guys were all members of the missionary party by now the reform party, uh, the business interest party, you know, uh, and <laughs> so it should have been called. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they were kind of uh, the big picture behind the scenes kind of people for the reform party. All right. The Hawaiian League. The main long term goal for the party was annexation to the U.S., so they were not openly, but sometimes informally called the Annexation Club. Okay. Real quick. Yeah. Your cat is playing with a ball behind you and it's really cute. It's probably also loud. Is it? No, is it? I don't hear anything. One? Okay. It's very quiet. Good deal. Oh, I can kind of hear it now, but it's very quiet. Okay. <laughs> You're good. It's adorable. Listeners, it's worth it. It's cute. <laughs> the Hawaiian League's unofficial leader was a congressman named Lauren A. Thurston. Mm, let me Google this guy. He didn't even come up on fucking Wikipedia. Or maybe I misspelled his name. Probably. L-O-R-R-I-N. I super misspelled that. Okay. I don't have any opinions about this guy. He's very nondescript. Yeah, he's just a white guy. He's just a white guy, yeah. He was a descendant of missionaries. He One of his big thoughts about how to govern Hawaii was that only white people could rule it efficiently. Oh, fuck. Not a good idea. Not a good one. No, he was a racist. Um, so the Hawaiian League in 1887 teamed up with a white paramilitary group called the Honolulu Rifles. Fuck. Okay, this has escalated really quickly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were under the command of one Colonel Volney Valancourt Ashford, a Civil War veteran. He actually was on the right side of the Civil War, uh, but he was just in this fucking white militia thing afterward. Cool. He just really wanted to play more war. <laughs> yeah. On June 30th, 1887, the Hawaiian League and the Honolulu Rifles held a meeting uh, where Thurston and a fellow named Sanford B. Dole. Mm, that name. Yeah, he'll, he'll kind of come up again <laughs> and again. They'll kind of make a, a dynamic duo here. Uh, they put together a list of demands to the king. The main point was that they wanted him to dismiss his cabinet, including this Gibson dude, uh, and accept a new constitution. King Kalakaua agreed under pressure, uh, and a group of lawyers, including Thurston and Dole and other league members, basically got together and drew up a new constitution for him to sign. The 1887 Hawaiian constitution, also called the Bayonet Constitution, 
<laughs> because they had bayonets out pointing at him. Basically, yeah. He he had okay. to do it at gunpoint. Cool, cool. Uh yeah. It was it was just as cool as you would expect. Um <laughs> it limited the king's authority, which generally we're in favor of, but it put it in favor of the cabinet and the legislature, which was controlled basically by the by the reform party, the the white by business people. Business interests, yeah. Yeah, not a good <laughs> It introduced high property and income requirements to serve in or to vote for the legislature. Fuck. And it also introduced literacy requirements for voting. Fuck. So disenfranchisement. Yeah, basically. completely. It allowed foreign resident aliens to vote. Okay, what? <laughs> you yep. can just go take a vacation and be like, well, I'm here. You can be a literal citizen of another country, never renounce it, and just like vote there. What the fuck? Uh, it barred Asians and Africans from voting. It only allowed Hawaiian, American, or European descent people. Wow, wow, wow. So overall, it disenfranchised two-thirds of Native Hawaiians. It's centered on strengthening the white foreign plantation owners and their supporters. It was bad. Two-thirds. Yep. That's so much. What is the year on this thing again? Uh, 1887. 1887. And we're just like, nah, actually nobody can vote. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hawaii was that way, but oh, yeah. it is the American interests there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, basically, they could take control of the government that way. But the thing is, that really wasn't enough for them. Now it's time to uh, take the next step eventually. Because uh, th- this arrangement, Hawaii, you know, just made servile a cowed monarch on the short leash of American imperialist interests doesn't last forever. People kind of chafe at this. There's eventually a little kind of blip called the Wilcox rebellions uh, that tried to oust King Kalakaua in favor of his more independent minded sister, princess Liliokalani. Mm, okay. But this fails. Uh, the King rules until his death in January, 1891. And at that point, Queen Liliokalani takes over. Is she the last queen? Yes. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> and like we said, she's more independent minded. She kind of indicated this bayonet constitution is kind of bullshit. She says, uh, you know, we should fix this. And the legislature, of course, they say, fuck that. No, like, we're, no we're not going to fix it. <laughs> we're not going to do anything, actually. Uh, she was proposing to remove the property requirements for voting. And they said, no, we like those. That's why we're here. I'm sure. We own all the properties. So actually, that's kind of our thing. (laughs) Yep. Uh. So in 1893, she worked with some Hawaiian nationalists, uh, Joseph Nawahi, William Punohu White, and Samuel Nolane, uh, to draft a new constitution altogether. All right. So is this what you're talking about? Like, we might like this monarch? Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty cool. She was trying to do... Better. I don't, you know, I think had she gotten her way, you'd still run into some of, you know, it still wouldn't be 100% democratic or enough for us. But yeah, yeah. In this conflict, she's going to be the the one to cheer for. <laughs> I mean, yeah, even just like the name she's picking, like she's working with other Native Hawaiians and not just like rich white people. Yes. <laughs> so like sure. a good start. Mm-hmm. That's so that the new constitution would fix the voting issue. It would bar Americans and Europeans from voting instead, and it would restore the authority of the monarchy, which, you know, again, we're eh, not really for not generally, face. but <laughs> so the plan 
obviously the American interests were like, hey, this this fucking sucks. <laughs> and so they feel like it's time to take action. And this is not only the American like business interests. This is also the straight up American minister to Hawaii. John L. Stevens is his name. Uh, he was an ardent imperialist, uh, a dear friend of our friend of the show, Lauren Thurston from earlier. Uh, and he even said he, he was, he was quoted as saying the Hawaiian pear is now fully ripe. And this is the golden hour for the United States to pick it. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Very gross. Well, the thing with that is that he wasn't just this rogue minister, you know, just like had kind of just decided, Oh, what if we take Hawaii? He had been appointed as the minister to Hawaii in 1889 by Secretary of State James G. Blaine, a like-minded expansionist, uh, had his eyes on Hawaii. He told President Benjamin Harrison, I think there are only three places that are of value enough to be taken. One is Hawaii, and the others are Cuba and Puerto Rico. He went on to say Cuba and Puerto Rico are now not imminent and will not be for a generation. But Hawaii may come up for decision at an unexpected hour, and I hope we shall be prepared to decide it in the affirmative. Wow, wow, wow. Just plotting and scheming, old Benji. <laughs> right? Like, it, this, this is, this is he's saying, like, I know a guy who knows a guy who's going to have a tragic accident. You know, we need to be ready. <laughs> like, he's looking up Zillow prices. He's ready to move in. For real. So this Stevens guy, when he says, oh, the time is now... He's not just like talking for himself. He's talking for the United States government. He's talking like, to the president. Hey, the time is now. <laughs> yeah. He was appointed by this guy who was like, who sent him there to do oh this, to, okay. to, to do what he could do to help out in terms of getting Hawaii annexed to the U.S. So the queen says maybe a new constitution. The Americans say, fuck that. So on Saturday, January 14th, 1893, the Hawaiian league springs into action. Uh, which is to say they start planning an American-backed coup. Okay. <laughs> you knew it was coming to a coup eventually. <laughs> of course, of course. It's our favorite thing. Baseball, <laughs> apple pie, and coups. coups. <laughs> Lauren Thurston and the League, they get together and they assemble a committee of safety. Mm, I bet it's not actually about safety. No, it's not. They don't go around checking labor standards and stuff. Like, there should be a guardrail here. Yeah. (laughs) You didn't use your blinker. Uh, (laughs) They install crosswalks. (laughs) Really, this was actually just kind of a subset of the Hawaiian League annexation guys. Almost like a name change, but like the core of the group that's going to carry out the coup. Okay. They gave everyone guns and called it safety. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Its first motion at its first meeting was the sense of this meeting is that the solution of the present situation is annexation to the United States. Okay, yeah, making it clear. Yep. (laughs) So how are they going to carry this out? It was simple, by doing a coup. Okay, how are they going to do that? That's simple. They're going to convince the Queen's cabinet to depose her and support a provisional government that they set up that, as Thurston put it, was run by, quote, the intelligent part of the community, i.e. white people. We need to talk about these motherfuckers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Come into somebody else's house, get everyone sick, you cough all over them, and you steal, then you kick them out of the house. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the one person who's left, now you're going to kick them out a few yep. years later. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, these guys are assholes. 
Oh my god. Imperialism, as we like to say, it sucks. It does. Agreed. <laughs> okay. Well, they got to convince the Queen's cabinet of this. How are they going to do that? Easy. Let's use the American military. The U.S. Navy had a 3,000-ton cruiser called the USS Boston that just so happened to be anchored near Pearl Harbor. I was about to say, we did just give them a port. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I know where they can park. (laughs) Yeah, that turns out to be pretty fateful. Um, The Boston is bristling with armaments. It's got a crew of around 200 sailors and Marines. All the coup boys have to do is convince that minister from earlier, the one that really wants to take over Hawaii, uh, they just have to convince him to call those troops ashore, you know, to like keep order and protect American lives and property and all that stuff. And at that point, there's going to be no point in opposing the little provisional government they put together because they're backed up by the behemoth United States. That's like the, the queen's done at that point. If they can convince him to get those troops on board, then they win. What was the public perception of this war at the time? People were probably super horny for it in the United States, right? Well, the coup goes off really quickly. By the time they find out about it, we'll kind of get into the reaction. But it's actually divided. Mm, okay. This is before we've kicked a lot of doors in, really. Uh, okay, that's what I was thinking. I was comparing it to like how psyched everyone was about the Spanish-American War and the Philippines and shit like that. Yeah, and that has yet to come. But again, that's before we kicked doors in overseas, we should say. We've already done <laughs> we the did. complete you know, annihilation of people, indigenous Americans. Mm-hmm. In the Mexican-American War, we've already done that. So <laughs> the blood is only up to our wrists at this point, maybe, or up to our <laughs> elbows. We're not... All the way in. <laughs> so the queen at this point kind of realizes that her new constitution is causing a lot of problems. And maybe, you know, there might be some violence if this happens. Uh, so she announced that she would postpone issuing the new constitution for a while. It, she doesn't really say, like, specify. It's like maybe a few days, maybe sometime vaguely in the future. Depends on how you translate it. But not yet. But the yet really bothers the committee of safety people. Yeah. And they, I mean, they also kind of feel pot committed at this point. They're like, now is the time to act. We got to do this. You know, we already, we already kind of started. <laughs> we got the guns. Let's go. Yeah. So that night, two of them, Thurston and a guy named William Smith, uh, went to visit that minister, minister Stevens, uh, to get him to confirm that he was on board. I mean, he'd been talking about it, but they're like, Hey, for real, <laughs> for we're going to do this. And he says, like, yeah, I, you know, I'm in. Yeah, I've got your for back. Sure. Yeah. When you need troops, call me. We'll send them in. When you set up your government, call me. I'll recognize it. Don't worry. Insane. <laughs> I mean, this guy's job is, like, to do diplomacy with the country that he's plotting this <laughs> he's coup against. Yes. What the fuck? <laughs> Wild. But uh, it's not just a guy being bad at his job because, like, he also knows that his secret mission his is secret from job. his own government to do this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's not a bug. It's a feature. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I was just saying, like, how many other, like, ambassadors have also done that? Like, probably a lot of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the next day, Sunday, January 15th, it's a little bit slow, coup-wise. Uh, I mean, it's a Sunday. You got to sleep in. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, Thurston does not sleep in. Early in the morning, he goes to try to convince some of the cabinet members again, hey, why don't y'all join our coup, you know? And they're like, we'll think about it. And he's like, well, fucking don't tell people in the meantime. Like, I was expecting you to say yes, but like, fine, think about it. Yeah, that's really awkward. Don't tell anybody. Keep it on your reps. And they immediately like go, they go tell about it. Fuck Um, yeah. (laughs) uh, But this tips their hand. They had kind of already heard maybe there was a coup in in the offing, but now they know for sure. Uh, The Committee of Safety. (laughs) (laughs) What a good name. They hold another meeting and they decide Thurston, and Thurston's there at the meeting, and he agrees that he's too much of an asshole to be their, like, provisional president when the time comes. Like, he's made so many enemies because he's just a dick. I love that he agrees. He's like, yeah, you're right. I I am an asshole. (laughs) Yeah, basically. He owns it at least. Wow. And so they're like, okay, well, we'll we'll have to figure out who's going to be the provisional president when we get Mm -hmm. to it. But it's not going to be Thurston. (laughs) All right. So the next day, Monday, January 16th, the committee meets early that morning to plan a mass rally that afternoon. They're going to denounce the queen and all this stuff, right? Uh, the Queen's chief of police, a guy named Charles Wilson, mm-hmm. uh, not not Charlie Wilson, not Charlie Wilson of Tom yeah. Hanks fame. Yeah, <laughs> he shows up to the meeting like while it's going on. He shows up and is not beating on the door, and he's like, "What the fuck are y'all doing here? You, you know, you need to stop plotting this coup." But he basically scolds <laughs> them. Yeah, he's like, you better stop it. And they're like, "Fuck you! No, we're not. We're not going <laughs> to stop it." We're okay. gonna we're gonna do what we're gonna do. Who are you to stop us? You know, mm-hmm. and he he's he like leaves and says, "Well, you know, uh, I'm warning you." What the fuck? Just shoot him or something? I don't know. Well, he goes back to the queen and the cabinet and says, "Hey, like, you guys are right. They're doing a coup. They're planning it right now. Uh, our <laughs> Just only chance on their planning." Yeah, <laughs> and he says, "Our only chance at preventing it is to arrest them all." The cabinet was scared. They said, what, if we do that, won't that, you know, provoke the U.S.? Aren't they going to attack us if we do that? Uh, let's not. So instead, the queen issued a proclamation saying, okay, hey, constitution stuff. Uh, I am only going to, like, amend it through constitutional means. I'm not going to do a new constitution. We'll do this all by the book. Maybe mm. that will calm people down. She pulls a West Wing. Yes. Yeah. She's going to be <laughs> the smartest person in the room. Oh. So while she's doing that and putting out that proclamation everywhere, uh, the coup boys are acting because they, they they take that warning to heart. They decide to call Big Brother America. Oh, my God. Call him into the game. Okay. They send a letter to Minister Stevens telling him, hey, you know, the queen's actions, man. She's pushing us to this. And, quote, the public safety is menaced and lives and property are in peril. And we oh, appeal whatever. to you, the United States forces at your command for assistance. Well, I mean, this just goes to show even if you give them what they want, they don't give a fuck. No, nope. <laughs> they're in it to win it. Mm-hmm. Stevens, I mean, he I imagine he's sitting there waiting for the call because uh, <laughs> he responds immediately, writes up an order to Captain Gilbert Wiltsey of the Boston and says, I request you to land Marines and sailors for the protection of the United Mm -hmm. States consulate and to secure the safety of American life and property. Of course. It's very Roman what we do is we're never going to war to conquer a place. We're always defending, you know? Oh, yeah. Somehow. It's super weird how our defense can end up with, like, profit. 
<laughs> Don't know how that works. Wild. Yeah, we're <laughs> the masters of defensive touchdowns. <laughs> you know what they say? The best defense is a good offense. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. So oh. Monday afternoon, they hold competing rallies. Actually, the coup crew have theirs. And that's a pretty good one. Um, (laughs) And the queen actually and her supporters have one too. And afterward, the committee meets again. They decide we don't really have our shit together. Like we're we're trying, we're coordinating, but we're going to need another day. Let's ask Stevens to delay the troops because it's, it's like we're running out of time, you know? And this is, uh, this is at like four o'clock that they're meeting. (laughs) Wow. Okay. And they go to, talk to him to ask him to delay the troops and he just laughs he's like no dude like they're coming in an hour like get ready <laughs> they're here they're on their way yeah and wow. they're, they're like oh shit okay so um yeah uh, 162 marines and sailors land at 5 p.m and they start setting up camp they, they set up camp at arian hall which is like next to uh the government house like the, where where the seat of government is and, and within cannon range of the royal palace all right, sorry. Is it called Arian Hall? It's not spelled that way. It's A R I O N. So I don't know uh, how it's okay. said, but okay, uh, gotcha. Not so bad. I mean, way. a little better. <laughs> okay, what were they trying to prepare that they didn't have prepared? They like hadn't picked their new president yet. See, I, I think that's part of it. I, it wasn't very specific. The account that I was reading about that detail, it wasn't. It's very specific. Otherwise, and one of the big sources that I used uh, was a book by Stephen Kinzer called Overthrow, America's Century of Regime Change from Hawaii to Iraq. Oh, that sounds like a good one. That sounds like a a well of content. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So um, just a shout out to to him for that. So yeah, the troops come in. uh, Everybody is reacting to it. So a lot of Native Hawaiians didn't really realize what was happening. Like, okay, there are soldiers coming in. You know, a lot of the more politically connected people were like, holy shit, like, it's about to this go down, happening. you know, yeah. the, the, the coup conspirators started having uh, basically a party, a celebration at one of their houses. <laughs> they hadn't even done it yet. Well, yeah, there's only one step left though. Now is just to announce that you're doing the coup. I guess that's from, true. From their point of view, it's like all but one. And at that meeting is when they pick Sanford Dole to be their provisional president for when they announce. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Sanford Dole was the grandson of missionaries. Uh, he was actually a justice on the Hawaiian Supreme Court. Uh, and he was a cousin of James Dole, who later, with Sanford's help, would found the Hawaiian Pineapple Company. Yep. That would later be acquired by another missionary-founded sugar plantation, Behemoth Castle and Cook, to form Dole Food Company. Okay, okay. That's where you get Dole from. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, Dole stays a a dominant figure in Hawaii for some time after this point. So they decide Dole's going to be the guy the next day, Tuesday, January 17th. This is the day that they're going to carry it out. Starts out kind of ominous. One guy gets shot. Yeah, that's a bad start. It's been bloodless till now, uh, but this guy gets wounded. He's a cop. He's trying to stop one of the conspirators, a guy named John Good, who was transporting a cache of weapons. He tries to pull him over, basically, the guy's like, blam, and t- drives off. Jesus, okay. That's really the only documented bloodshed of the thing. Maybe there was other stuff. Really? Yeah. 
Uh, The queen was still trying to stave off the coup. She sent her cabinet to go tell Minister Stevens that like, hey, yo, we're the legitimate government. What are you doing? (laughs) Stevens basically told them like, fuck off. Don't attack our troops unless you want to die. Like, don't mess with us. Cool. Cool friends. But he still hasn't admitted like, I sent the troops. (laughs) He's just saying, "I, I don't care. Like, don't talk to me. Don't don't do anything crazy, you know? Wow. Wow. And so at two o'clock, the coup boys go down to the government house and they make their declaration. Bye-bye kingdom. Hello, provisional government. Mm-hmm. Me and the boys starting a coup. <laughs> they even let slip its purpose, saying the new government was, quote, to exist until terms of union with the United States of America have been negotiated and agreed upon. Wow. Okay. Yeah. They are just letting it all out. (laughs) Here's what we're trying to do, you guys. Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, the cabinet, this is a pretty sad little side story, or it's part of the central action, I guess. The queen's cabinet was, was writing out a request to Minister Stevens, of all people, begging him for U.S. aid in fending off the coup. That's insane. You're asking for help from the person that's taking over you secretly. That's really fucking sad. And they were just like, and please, please help us from, oh. you know, there's all these troops and there's these coup guys and, and, you know, we could really use your help. But like, where did they think the troops were from? I mean, they thought that the troops maybe were just there to be neutral to like, because the mm. troops hadn't done anything yet. Yeah. Yeah. He replies only a couple hours later, 4 p.m., he replies by recognizing the provisional government yep. as the de facto yep. government. And so then they're like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah, we're the done. troops are not here for to be neutral. They're there to back those guys up. <laughs> no shit. shit. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so sad. Yeah. Uh, they realize there's no hope. Surrender is the only way out. They go to the queen. They spell it out. Hey, it's we over. lost. Yeah. Uh, and the queen writes out her statement very carefully. And it's kind of bitter and, and everything. She says, you know, the whole coup and invasion, all that stuff was bullshit. You know, it was unfair. <laughs> she was still queen, basically, but just like is stepping down under duress so people don't die. Wow. But yeah, that she she kind of transfers uh, authority to the the coup people and says, I'm still queen, but I can't do it anymore do because anything. people will be killed. So yeah. 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 Damn. Yep. And so the provisional government took power and they immediately apply for annexation to the U.S. (laughs) They already had it written up in their pocket. Like, here you go. Right. They just pull it out. Here here you go. Hand Um, it to Stevens. He's like, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So they they negotiate a treaty. This happens really quickly. It gets it has to get through the Senate, which it does not do in time. So March 1893 is when you get a new president instead of Benjamin Harrison, who wanted to annex Hawaii. You get Grover Cleveland, who did not. Oh, okay. Grover. And Grover Cleveland, uh, I mean, this guy has a lot of other flaws. Like, <laughs> he was he was the guy who was president during the Pullman strike, you know? So mm, yeah, like I remember now. Using the government against them. I mean, like, that's not yeah, good. That's really not good. Uh, but as far as Hawaii went... He was kind of against expansion in general, which is weird for a president. Super weird. (laughs) So he withdrew the treaty. You know, it was about to go through the Senate or whatever. And he just said, nope, we're taking that out. And he orders an investigation into the coup. (gasps) Oh, okay, Grover. 
<laughs> uh, I was picturing. So what does Grover's mom sound like? Like, you know, Lenny. Yeah, Lenny's mom. Lenny. It can't be the same mom, you know? It can't, I mean, that's just my default mom oh, okay. voice, I think. All right. <laughs> they all have I, the same I don't know. mom. Uh, yeah, the the history mom. <laughs> history mom, okay. <laughs> oh, Grover. I didn't <laughs> like what you did with the strike, but, you know, good on you for this one. <laughs> All right, so that investigation was led by ex-congressman, ex-confederate officer, and ex-slave owner, James Henderson Blunt of Georgia. Okay, cool resume so far. Yeah, it's not exactly a stellar record. I don't super trust this guy to have a sense of fairness or morality or anything. Right? <laughs> His investigation produces the Blunt Report. I I love these Blunt Reports. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I don't really know if this is how you pronounce his name, but there's like a football player with the last name of Blunt. I think it's James Blunt also, but it's B-L-O-U-N-T and it's pronounced Blunt. I don't know uh-huh. if that's always how you say that name, but I don't know. But I was just trying to make a weed joke, and I didn't really yeah, get all no, the way there. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. So this investigation conducted interviews, uh, went through letters, affidavits, all these documents, exciting government investigation stuff. Right? Mm, yes, yes. Uh, and the final report, we said, "Oh man, this guy! How can you trust him?" The final report was actually scathing. It <gasps> denounced Minister Stevens for improperly backing the rebels. Wow, I'm shocked. Yeah, I mean, he he just says, basically, this was fucked up. Uh-huh. Uh, and President Cleveland goes to Congress and tells them that the coup had been bad, that the U.S. had, had really done a terrible thing by assisting it, calling it, quote, an act of war committed with the participation of a diplomatic representative of the U.S. and without authority from Congress. Damn. Okay. Yeah. He also said, but for the lawless occupation of Honolulu under false pretexts by the United States forces, the queen and her government would never have yielded. It's true. We really did all of that. (laughs) That was 100% (laughs) us. With a little bit of help from the local racist committee. Yep. But based on this, he ordered Hawaiian President uh, Sanford Dole uh, Mm -hmm. to dissolve the provisional government and reinstate the queen. And Dole just replies back, yeah, fuck no. that, I ain't doing that. <laughs> yeah, I figured. So that was the Blunt Report. The U.S. Senate thought, this is going a little bit too far. So they order their own investigation. Oh, no. This was led by the chairman of the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations, ex-Confederate general, ex-slave owner, ex-Grand <laughs> Dragon of the KKK. Fuck. And imperialist. John Tyler Morgan of Alabama. Fuck. He saw that last guy's resume and was like, hold my shit. Hold my beer. I could be even more racist. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's the crazy (laughs) thing with with James Henderson Blunt. It was kind of surprising. Yeah. That despite his like overall racism. Badness. (laughs) He did that. I was just like, Mm -hmm. okay, that's pretty good. Morgan does not surprise us. (laughs) (laughs) He plays to script. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say he doesn't break character. Yeah. Uh, the Morgan report just basically completely negates the Blunt oh report. Oh, my gosh. It just says, no, nah, you know, Stevens, he was right. Uh, the queen was being bad. Uh, <laughs> the U.S. had to put in troops to protect people and property. Nothing to see here. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> queen was being bad. What is? <laughs> yeah, basically. She wasn't know. doing what you were saying, so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what craziness is that? So. 
At that point, with the Senate kind of having turned against him, and this is where we said, you know, earlier, what was the reaction to this? Because now mm-hmm. it's playing out in Congress. Early on, people were more on the side kind of of, of Cleveland and being like anti-expansionist. Like that was a that was a kind of popular move. Remember, this is one of the early instances of America doing this overseas, and it was seen as something new. It was seen as like, oh shit, we're going to be like the UK now? We're going to be like these guys? You know? I thought we weren't going to do that, even though we had literally just done that, yeah, like we, we where that. we were, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> we're people protested. On bones. Yeah. And people protested about that even at the time, you know, and said that was messed up, you know, and we gloss over that. But people kind of initially kind of opposed it until like when the Morgan report comes out, the tide had kind of shifted. Like that movement was not as strong. And so people were more like, uh, we, you know, we want to, we want to expand. We want to take over more shit. So at that point, Cleveland had kind of lost support for his whole, let's not do imperialism bit. Now, Cleveland, is he the one that gets unelected and then elected again? Yes. You can thank our childhood placemat for that because they flipped his <laughs> portrait the other way. So you know which one it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he lost support for that. He abandons his efforts to get the queen reinstated. And the provisional government at that point graduates to being the Republic of Hawaii on uh, July 4th, 1894. Wow. Wow. Yep. So let that be a lesson. If someone like makes a report or writes something you don't like, just say it wasn't true. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> Make another report and say the opposite. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so the U.S. quickly recognized its independence. You did have a brief little outbreak of violence in the in 1895 in the Wilcox Rebellion, which was a four-day monarchist uprising. It was pretty quickly defeated because the Hawaiian Republic under Dole had just spent all its time like arming itself. So okay. They were ready for it. I mean, they're running a minority government there. Yeah, yeah. They got to be armed. Yeah. (laughs) And so after that, the queen abdicated formally and was placed under house arrest. Oh, bummer. In 1897, President Cleveland leaves the scene to be replaced by William McKinley. Oh, that guy. That's who's in the middle. (laughs) Uh, No, 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 no. This was Cleveland's second term. Oh, Benjamin okay, Harrison was the guy that was in the middle. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. No worries. William McKinley, super big time imperialist. That guy sucked. Yeah, he was an asshole. Yeah, uh, someone tried to kill him and it was kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dan and Dave. They're like, is that actionable? Yeah, right. And that was about the past. You can't get me. I can say whatever I want about the past. <laughs> yeah, John Brown was good. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Um, So he wants, obviously, to take Hawaii. So in 1897, he signs a treaty to annex the Republic of Hawaii. But again, they got to go through the Senate and the Senate rejected it because it's really hard to get it through the Senate. You need two thirds approval. Well, the next year, April 1898, the Spanish-American War breaks out slash is ginned up by the American press. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I was about to ask. I was like, I feel like that's coming. I want to say McKinley was in that. And sure enough. Yep. Hawaii declared neutrality, mm-hmm. but they actually helped the United States out a lot. They were like an advanced base of operations against Spanish possessions in the Pacific. And now the Senate and Congress, they're like, Hawaii is pretty useful. We, we would, <laughs> would kind of like that. 
Oh my gosh. Hey, can you give me the, the five second dummy version of what the Spanish American War was about? I just know it was imperialism, but like, what, what's the headline? It's uh, essentially the like kind of conquest of various Spanish territories. It initially started because uh, there was like an independence movement in Cuba against Spain. <laughs> and Spain was like, you know, being dicks to them. And there was kind of agitation about like, oh, should we help them? Maybe not. But then like the USS Maine blew up in Havana. It was probably an accident. Um, but they said, no, 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 there was definitely attack. Spain attacked us. We got to go to war. <laughs> and so we declare war. And instead of just saying, hey, let's make sure that all these places, you know, get their independence or whatever, we just kind of conquered took them. took over them. Yeah, okay. Cuba got to be its own its own independent thing with our domination of it still. Uh, but like uh, the Philippines were conquered, uh, Guam, Puerto Rico. So it was just an opportunity to just kind of land grab. Yeah. You start out with an independence war and you end up conquered. That sucks. Yep. <laughs> America is the friend you do not invite to a party. They will kick you out of your house. <laughs> yes, they suck. <laughs> They don't have to, but I mean, historically, not great. It's a bad idea. Do not be friends. <laughs> so Congress changes its tune. Right, Hawaii yeah. seems very useful now. <laughs> so on July 4th, 1898, Congress passed the Newlands Resolution, uh, which was a joint resolution to annex Hawaii. Cute. Do you think they did it on July 4th, like on purpose? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> joint resolutions are different. From treaties, because you only need a majority support. Uh, you don't have to get to the two-thirds, so it's easier to do. It's a side note. This is what how Congress uh, annexed Texas, too. It was a joint resolution instead of a treaty. Is there any difference besides that? No, it legally does the same thing. <laughs> so why wouldn't everyone do joint resolutions? I guess if we were going to annex more places, we probably would, because it's easier, you know? Yeah. Anyway, August... 12th, 1898 is when Hawaii officially becomes a U.S. territory with our good friend Sanford Dole as its governor. Mm, great. So does he do some quote unquote cool shit? Sanford Dole, I mean, no, he's not great. Um, the whole situation there is not great. I'm sure. That's why cool is in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> the aftermath here. So Hawaii remains a territory for 60 years. Wow. It's a long time. Yeah, it's because kind of it was convenient to the sugar plantation owners, the industrial titans who control it, because they can still get the trade benefits of being part of the U.S., but they can easily import cheap foreign labor. Yeah, and they like don't have to give anyone rights, probably. Yeah, well, it's, it's more limited. I mean, they still have some, you know, but it's easier to get around. They can't like vote, right? Yeah, well, they can't vote for like president or yeah. their own governor or <laughs> so no, they congress people they can't do that yeah. either the people were saying that are in charge of hawaii at this time are called the big five mm, okay five what like five companies oh okay fuck <laughs> the big five companies they were dominant economically and politically while hawaii was a territory the companies are castle and cook that's the sugar people, right? They ran sugar and pineapple plantations. They actually still own large portions of central Oahu, and they're now in real estate. Okay, of course they are. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Alexander and Baldwin. 
what they do? They did sugar plantations and refineries. They are now in real estate, land operations, materials, and construction. They're now the fifth largest private landowner in Hawaii. Oh, my gosh. Uh, next up, we have American Factors, uh, also called AMFAC, uh, which they ran sugar plantations <laughs> and department stores. <laughs> and departments. Okay. Different. Uh, what did they do? They declared bankruptcy in 2002 and became Kanapali Land LLC, a land development company. They own about five thousand acres in west maui next up we have theo h davies and company uh, they were sugar plantations and trading <laughs> uh, they're no longer around they were sold off to management at some point tragic pour one out for Aww. theo h davies and company r.i.p and last up you have c brewer and company they were in Sugar plantation? Sugar plantations. Yep. <laughs> they kept it simple. They only did sugar plantations. Just one. Focus on our core competency. Yeah, I'm sure they did other things too, but that was their main bag. And they also not around. They dissolved in 2006. Okay. That's still insane that three out of five of these like horrible exploitative places are still just like owning large swaths of land in a place where mm-hmm. like, if I'm not mistaken, indigenous people still have issues with land ownership. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, so definitely. not great. Not great. <laughs> definitely. So strange how they were all sugar plantation companies. Weird. You know? <laughs> but they ran the place like their own fiefdom, basically, mm-hmm. until 1959 when Hawaii was made a state, the 50th state uh, in the Hawaii Emission Act. So... Uh, yeah, a, kind of a little bit of a coda to all this. In 1993, Congress passed a joint resolution. There, that thing is again. Oh, yeah. Uh, called the Apology Resolution. <laughs> okay, I'm shocked that this happened. Was it like, I'm sorry that you felt like we took over your state? <laughs> a non-apology statement. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> no, so this one had to wait. Until after George H.W. Bush, you know, because he famously said he would never apologize for America. Oh, that's right. <laughs> but this was in 1993. It was sponsored by Democratic Senators Daniel Akaka and Daniel Inouye mm. of Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, and in it, Congress, <clears throat> I'll just read you the quote. Tell me. Acknowledges that the overthrow of the kingdom of Hawaii occurred with the active participation of agents and citizens of the United States and further acknowledges that the native Hawaiian people never directly relinquished to the U.S. their claims to their inherent sovereignty as a people over their national lands, either through the kingdom of Hawaii or through a plebiscite or referendum. Okay, why isn't... Why, <laughs> how can you just admit that and then just keep going? Anyway, they're a state now. Anyway, <laughs> everything's fine. I guess they apologize for it, like, sorry, that was bad. That should be printed, like, on every ticket to flights to Hawaii or something. <laughs> just like, by the just way. Just, like, on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, by the way, we're sorry. <laughs> Insane. Yeah, but that's the story of the conquest of Hawaii. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Is it discussion time? It's discussion time. Okay, great. So, my first, um, this isn't really a question, but more of a point of, it, it's... Interesting to me that um, I think if you look at traditional, quote unquote traditional, I guess, Western um, ideas about like revolution and independence and those kinds of movements, you usually are overthrowing a king figure. And, you know, the idea behind that's like, oh, we want more democracy. Let us do that. And this one was like, you could 
I'm sure some people tried to sell it like that, of like, oh, we're overthrowing this tyrant, you know? Oh, yeah. When they were doing their mass rally and everything and, and trying to pump up the people about, you know, we got to overthrow the queen, they very much couched it in those terms. Thurston at the rally said, I say, gentlemen, that now and here is a time to act. Has the tropical sun cooled and thinned our blood, or have we flowed in our veins the warm, rich blood which makes men love liberty and <laughs> die for it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. They were yeah. all about it. Someone else were talking about to secure the permanent maintenance of law and order and the protection of life, liberty, and property <laughs> in and Hawaii. property, especially property, mostly this, property. They underlined that one like three times. <laughs> Bold, size 72 <laughs> font. Okay, because like... To me, this one is like mask off democracy, you know, like bourgeois democracy. It's like, no, this one's just about business, y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And, and they claim, oh, it's these universal principles. But mm -hmm. I think it's very, I think you're right to make the connection between the ideas because it's, um, you see what those ideas in capitalist hands what they're used to do, what they're, what they're used to advance. Like they're not necessarily bad. Like, sure. I want people to have, you know, liberty in life and I don't care if they have property, but <laughs> they're, but they're bad when wielded by the state by, or by capitalist interests. Exactly. Yeah. So like Hawaii has been in the news a lot lately about like their water shortages and issue with like oil and stuff. I, I am not super well versed on it. But from what I've, like, gathered about it, it seems like this is all just colonization coming home to roost, you know? Like, this, again, like, all of this was because Hawaii is a very resource-rich land, and we're still exploiting it today by treating it like a fucking tourist destination, and mm -hmm. where, like, people who actually live there can't afford to live there. Yeah. Imperialism. <laughs> colonialism. Still here, y'all. They have a really long shadow. Yeah. And I mean, they're still, it's still actively being carried out. But even the places where it's nominally transitioned to uh, self government or what have you, it still has this long lasting effects, you know, these generational um, wounds. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I don't know. It just makes me think about that of how. I mean, it cannot have been good for, for the people to have been exploited under sugar plantations for that long. And I'm sure I'm, there's probably still sugar plantations there, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, they, st they still do. They, they produce sugar there. They produce fruits there, uh, pineapple especially. So, yeah, that's still a thing. It's not as big of an industry there now, but it's sort of like in open veins. It's very much like in open veins how he talks about, you know, the underdevelopment of the global south is not an accident it's not a product of the inherent natures of the people there and he's talking about the 1970s and saying like this currently what you are seeing has these century old roots you know? yeah yeah and even where that's gone and you know the old brutal iron glove style you know tyranny is gone the underlying force, the mechanisms behind it may have softened or whatever, but they're still like, they're still there. They still have like a yoke on these countries. Yeah. Yeah. On these states or, I mean, we, cause we see this like internally in the United States too. I mean, here in Hawaii, but like different regions of the country, 
uh, have the, you know, are exploited by other regions of the country. Oh, for sure. And I think it's also really telling that like, what is it, two or three of those companies ended up being in real estate? Like, yeah, they're (laughs) still all about fucking like bad land reform. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I loved that. Uh, I mean, I hated that really. uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's it's ironic. Yeah. Uh, That's a weird one. It's it. I just felt very much. It was just such a scam through and through of like, yeah, our minister, the ambassador, is going to actually do a coup. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Great. And I, I found it interesting that it's both kind of like a slow burn. I mean, mm-hmm. it kind of like slowly develops up to that. But then all of a sudden, boom, coup, here it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm super fascinated by the fact that like all the people who are claiming they're for liberty and like all the shit are like just fucking colonizers. Like, <laughs> you're not even from here. Like- what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they were for liberty and stuff. For them. For the right type of people. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. They are racists. Ugh, what the fuck? That's a fucked one. Yep, it was fucked up. <laughs> In conclusion, very fucked up. <laughs> That's our review. Yeah. <laughs> At least it wasn't super bloody. Like, yeah, I one did appreciate guy. that. Yeah. One yeah. guy and he was fine. Like I said, I saw some account that was saying that um, that the queen at some point was holding meetings, you know, during the coup and everything and was talking to somebody like consoling her because I think someone, some relative of hers had had been killed in some violence. But I wasn't able to find like what happened if this was a one off thing or if there was more instances of that. But I'd be, I'd be curious about that for sure, because it's strange not to have anything happen. It is strange. I was I was kind of waiting for it, like, all right, when's it popping off? And then it kind of just happened. Yeah. Well, they got a lot of the killing done early with, the, like, the disease. Yeah, so. yeah. They really, they really knocked it out. They did the pre-work. <laughs> Jesus. I will say it's a pattern. Like, this is an interesting <laughs> story to study. But this whole like, oh, we got to go in and defend, you mm-hmm. know, Americans in some far off part of the world. That's not something that goes away with Hawaii. No, definitely not. Yeah, the the language around it is very similar. And again, the idea of like, oh, yeah, we're totally doing this for Americans. And then we get them. We're like, actually, this is like really convenient for us. <laughs> like, we're just going <laughs> to stay here. Like yeah. that's and then also the fact that the, the connection to the Spanish American War, like that's very on point as well like it's all imperialism and it's all bad once again <laughs> yeah definitely a pattern yeah i want to i want to know more about that book you were checking out that sounds good yeah it's a good one i'm sure you can find it where you find <laughs> where you find books quality books okay well thank you for researching anytime or i should say once a week once a week yeah or no. less <laughs> i just show up at your house one night with a mic like tell me a story no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ready. What are we doing next week? Uh, next week, we're going to do a little bio episode, and we're going to learn about Julius Nyerere. All right. What's this guy's deal? Uh, he was the first president of Tanzania. Cool. He was an anti-colonialist, um, campaigning for independence from the British Empire, uh, and then you know comes to power and does a lot of big changes uh, in Tanzania in the communist socialist direction. Mm. So we're going to learn about an independence movement that doesn't suck. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need a little palate cleanser. 
for sure. And, and you know, obviously there's going to be controversies, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure he has a controversies tab, does he? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, oh. he's got some things in here. Okay. It's not it's not called controversy, but he has like reception and legacy, which I feel mm. like is another way to say. That's know? a nice way to say it. Yeah. That's when you have yeah. a mixed record. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I know nothing about it. So head cool. empty, yeah, should be ready good. for knowledge. <laughs> All right. Go eat a big bowl of cereal because I'm an adult. There you go. Enjoy. Thank you. Have <laughs> a good evening and listeners have a good week. Yeah, for sure. See y'all later. Bye. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.